Welcome to episode four of the Paul and Paul podcast. I'm Paul Papasavas. And I'm Paul Varnado. And today we will discuss some of the things that cloud mature enterprises do to be successful. And to help us cover this topic, we have a guest joining us today, Sino Youssef. He is a principal customer solutions manager here at AWS based out of the Washington, D.C. area. Welcome to the show, Sino. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, guys. I really enjoyed listening to the earlier episodes of your of your podcast. So it's actually really neat to be on with you guys. Well, we're happy to have you. So now before we get into the meat of the topic, we've discussed the CSM role in episode one, and you're our second CSM guest thus far. So we don't need to cover the role, but I would like to hear your perspective on it. You know, put the textbook aside in your own words. What does it mean to be a CSM? Yeah, I really appreciate that question. And I really appreciate actually you you wanted to hear it in, in my words as opposed to maybe like the our, our our dictionary definition for the AWS customer solutions manager to me. I mean, we're really experts in helping customers reduce the friction that often accompanies cloud adoption and digital transformation. I mean, taking that really a step further, what that really means is we inf help inform our customer strategies and we provide them mechanisms that will accelerate the pace of cloud and digital maturity. That is a great segue into our core topics, you know. Um, so what does it mean to be a cloud mature enterprise? You know, what does one look like and how do you get there? And how do you know if you are there, how far you need to go? Oh, man, thanks for inviting me on when you have such an easily uh, topic to discuss here on, on your agenda, Paul. I mean, defining, achieving, and measuring cloud maturity, is that all? Are you sure you don't want to delve into the intricacies of string theory while we're all here? Oh, I do, but we can save that for part two in the interest of time. <laughs> you know, kidding, kidding aside, I mean, you raise a great topic. Oh, I mean, we're largely past the stage where most business and IT leaders need to be educated on what the cloud is, or why they should move to cloud, and the advantages that cloud affords that enterprise. I mean, these topics have been well covered and are almost self-evident at this point. But what remains more elusive, however, is achieving organizational maturity that is on par with the technical capability achieved once in the cloud. To take a full advantage of the latter, the former really needs to keep pace and transform as well. Yeah, that sounds good, but also ambiguous. Organizational maturity, that is. I mean, what does that mean in the real world? You know, it, it means evolving your organization's people, process, and governance to take full advantage of the cloud value proposition. A quick analogy I, I think that will resonate with a lot, of the, a lot of those listening is the adoption of a DevOps culture. For the past decade or so, moving to a DevOps operation model was, and really still is, a key objective for many IT leaders. You know, those leaders study, demo, POC, and eventually deployed into production best-in-class DevOps tooling, wholly capable of providing that holy grail of DevOps adoption, a fully automated deployment pipeline. It sounds like these leaders are doing their technical due diligence and really driving progress. They are. They are. But, I mean, I don't need to tell you guys, you know, what came next for most of these enterprises. Yeah. They had the technical capability to deploy at the push of a button but they could never actually use it. You know, their PMO and change management teams still require paperwork weeks in advance. You know, security teams still require manual coordination and access to perform post-deployment audits and scans. Application teams still mandated really strict maintenance windows and human-driven QA. You know, so, you know, put it, put it uh, differently, these leaders bought themselves a Ferrari, but they lacked a pit crew really capable of using it to its potential. Yeah, I do know what you mean. Now, I mean, personally, I prefer Porsches, but I, I get what you're saying. 
And you know, this is a common dilemma that leaders in numerous organizations are facing with their cloud transformation. You know, cloud provides them technical capabilities that outpace their organizational maturity. It's actually something that we've touched on in two of our previous episodes. It's part of organizational change management, you know, people, process, and governance. And actually, you know, you got a car enthusiast going with that analogy, and I'm going to have to go on a bit of a tangent and take the car analogy a little bit further. It's sort of like if you own, say, a Honda Accord or even a BMW 3 Series, but then decide, I want to go buy a Porsche 911. When you first start driving it around and you're driving it like you did your old Accord or BMW, you might wonder, well, what the heck did I just pay two or three times the cost of my old car for? I mean, yeah, it's a bit faster, handles a little bit better, but am I really getting the full value out of it? But then you decide to go you know, on a track day and you get some instruction and learn a little bit more about how to drive your car and get more out of it. So you start to recognize the value of this precision machine. Then you have a pro driver give you a demo lap where he unleashes every bit of the car's capabilities, taking turns at 70 miles an hour, hitting 1.5 Gs. And you quickly realize exactly how much more you can get out of that supercar. He is not driving it like your uh, old Accord, like you did. And that's kind of how the cloud is. It's If you just operate your workloads and your business the way you did with your old on-prem setup, you're really not getting the full potential out of it. So the question becomes, how do leaders not fall victim to this dilemma? How do you not drive your 911 the way you drove your Accord? Or in business terms, how do they ensure that their organizational maturity is cloud enabling and not cloud limiting? Yeah, well, <laughs> well, Paul, like that uh, that one uncle at Thanksgiving dinner, it really first uh, it starts by acknowledging that there is a problem that needs to be addressed <laughs> and then making it a priority to do so. True. So, uh, <laughs> but, but more seriously, though, I, I call this the leadership imperative. Nothing significant or transformational happens without senior leadership attention and advocacy. And cloud adoption really is no exception to that. It's incumbent on leaders to make cloud transformation an organizational priority. They need to set top-down goals and establish a timeline for achieving those goals. But leaders cannot be bystanders during execution either. You know, they must stay connected to the details, assessing progress and actively working to remove blockers and challenges that hinder their team's progression. So, you know, it sounds like these leaders are asking a lot of their teams in, in what could be a relatively short amount of time. They are. And for that very reason, equally important to communicating the goals and timeline is communicating the why to the enterprise. Why is leadership making this transformation a priority? Why is everyone being asked to take on additional and unfamiliar tasks? What is in it for them as individual professionals? How will these efforts benefit the business and set the company up for long-term and enduring success. By communicating the why clearly, early, and often, leaders will earn the organizational buy-in necessary and allay the uncertainty that often accompanies periods of transformational change. Yeah, I'm hearing the emphasis on leaders communicating the why behind that cloud adoption pretty clearly, and, and it's understandable, right? But how do leaders know what to communicate? What are the benefits that will accompany the effort? Yeah, another great question. And the answer really starts with the migration business case. The migration business case is essentially a detailed analysis of the economics of cloud adoption and the forecasted business value that the business will realize once in the cloud. A common example is elimination of large capital outlay for IT hardware, capital expenditure, or CapEx. Leaders spend far too much time navigating through tedious procurement cycles, tying up large amounts of capital upfront that could have been better spent elsewhere. 
Meanwhile, you are stuck with, uh, with what you procured for many years, all the while newer, better, and often cheaper technologies being made available. Yeah, exactly. So you don't need to wait for your hardware's life cycle to complete before you upgrade to the latest and greatest when you're in the cloud. And you can more readily take advantage of the continuously lowering costs of tech. For example, with AWS, we've lowered prices over 115 times in its history. And you really can't take advantage of that if you have to wait for something like five years or more to depreciate your hardware. Yeah, very true. And let's not forget the elasticity advantages that company replacing CapEx with a cloud-enabled OpEx model as well, Paul. I mean, most, if not all, businesses have some cyclicality to them, meaning demand for their products and services fluctuates throughout the year. For example, retailers know that demand increases during the holiday season, both in stores and online. These companies need to have enough IT capacity available to meet the significant but transient surge in demand. In a CapEx model, once a spike in demand ends, you are left with significant unused IT capacity that you, you are continually paying for. In the cloud, you have no such sunk cost, however. When the demand abates, you simply turn off and stop paying for the additional capacity your business temporarily required. And enterprises operating at more advanced stages of cloud maturity take advantage of elasticity to not only optimize for long-duration cyclicality, but for short duration as well. Like take nights and weekends, for example, when you know business when people go home and customers are asleep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And thus far, we've talked a lot about the financial benefits of limiting CapEx from balance sheets. And my customers have been supporting on-prem activities for quite some time, and it was difficult to get their head around thinking in a different manner. There are plenty of benefits that can be gained with infrastructure and operational efficiencies as well. Yeah, absolutely. Your people do become more efficient too. Centralized operations management, advanced observability tooling, easier automation, and greater resiliency enables the same number of administrators to manage more workloads per person. Additionally, this also frees your most talented engineers to spend more time working on projects and capabilities that will differentiate your business and delight your customers, rather than keeping those IT lights on. So, for most enterprises, the initial answer to why cloud is a matter of IT economics and efficiency. You know, I couldn't help but key in on the word initial there. You said for most companies, cost savings is the initial reason, insinuating that there are others, right? No, great catch. Uh, very perceptive to call that out, Paul. I mean, the inclusion of initial was 100% intentional there. So are we going into some of these other non-financial cloud adoption drivers today? Hey, your show, your call. Well, I'm in the driver's seat and very interested. Paul, how about you? Hey, does a 911 Turbo go 0 to 60 in 2.1 seconds? What? <laughs> yes, you're supposed to say yes. <laughs> hey, when you start a car enthusiast on car analogies, this is what you get. So, okay. but anyway, moving along. <laughs> oh man, actually, I'm glad you brought up speed because when it comes to cloud drive business value, hot on the heels of lowering IT spend is an enterprise leader's desire to increase business velocity. Put another way, the cloud increases the speed at which companies can do business. Yeah, you're talking agility, right? The ability to deploy like VMs, databases, and to develop new products or offerings and go to market more quickly when you're operating in the cloud. Exactly. And evolving your enterprise's key performance indicators or KPIs from simple dollars and cents to metrics like the number of new products being created in a year or the velocity of new product features being deployed, you know, the enhanced brand reputation that comes with increased service availability and faster customer support. When, you're, when your expectations and KPIs are growing the top line, as well as improving the bottom, 
this is a significant step towards enterprise cloud maturity. Yeah, I love the emphasis on product and feature delivery. One of my customers has really taken that fail fast philosophy to heart. They'll spend a week or two trying out a new database type or a machine learning service in conjunction with an existing product and run various use cases against it to see how it could perform. And then if the results show promise, they continue. And if not, they simply turn off all those services used. The long-term cost overhangs and even the proof of concepts that don't immediately work out, they can turn into learnings for that future innovation. Yeah, perfect example. But I'm curious, how do your customers' development operations teams have the know-how and skills to deploy and experiment with new services in the first place? And my customers' leadership sets quarterly training and certification goals, and the managers on each team set aside time for their teams to spend on learning. And, you know, that's a key detail, actually, because uh, for leadership to set time aside for learning, you know, we've mentioned before how people can become overwhelmed when moving to the cloud because, you know, they have their regular day jobs and keeping up their regular applications and up and running. But now they also have to ramp up on new technologies, among other things. So it's really important for people to have that support from leadership, to have that time set aside so that they are not forced to work, you know, 60 hours a week in order to do their regular day jobs and take training in order to be able to learn all these new technologies. And then the other part of the battle becomes for people to just be aware of what training is available to them and then how to access that training. Yeah, that's a great point. I can tell you one example. My customer's central cloud team provides recommended training roadmaps based on the team and their role, as well as access to AWS Skill Builder, which, as you know, has hundreds of training courses, hands-on labs, certification practice tests, and more. You know, you just mentioned two more characteristics of a mature cloud enterprise, the availability of upscaling and training resources, and the existence of a centralized cloud team. So when it comes to training, it is critical that leaders seeking to digitally transform their business instill a culture of continual learning. Some benefits of a highly skilled workforce are self-evident, but others less so. For example, a study by Deloitte found that companies with a learning culture are 92% more innovative and 56% more productive. I mean, those are significant competitive advantages. Yeah, that's a huge difference maker right there. And you know, one of the challenges is when organizations announce they're adopting cloud, a lot of employees fear that their existing skills won't convey and they'll become less effective or maybe they'll even lose their jobs. But when you have enterprises driving training goals, you know, reinforced from leadership on down, it helps to spell that fear, that uncertainty and doubt. Well said. And when I mentioned earlier that transformational leaders must provide a roadmap for achieving their digital end state, this isn't just about this isn't just about project plans and migrating workloads. It's about holistic organizational transformation. Yeah, and this is something that the AWS Cloud Adoption Framework uh, actually works to address. Loyal listeners will recall we actually talked about the CAF in episode two. So if you take the time and put the effort in up front, it can help address a lot of these obstacles proactively. Great call out. That's one, if not the primary reason AWS created the cloud adoption framework to ensure leaders are aware of and paying equal attention to all aspects of cloud adoption that drive enterprise cloud and digital maturity. So cloud mature enterprises need a skilled workforce, one that is continually learning so that they can continually experiment and thus continually innovate to delight customers and advance business objectives. Now, circling back to your mention of a central cloud team, 
the fact that your customer has one at all really is a sign that they're well on their way to becoming a mature cloud enterprise. Tell me, Paul, in addition to providing training guidance and content, what else does this team do for your customer? Well, a lot, actually. But off the top of my head, they provide pre-approved infrastructure as code templates for product and development teams to use. They also establish user permissions and security policy guardrails with oversight and some enforcement. And they're pretty heavily integrated into the company's cloud financial management or FinOps. Hey, actually, uh, mentioning FinOps, for the benefit of our listeners who are not familiar, do you want to give them a quick description of what that actually entails? Sure thing. Um, FinOps teams are responsible for tracking usage against budgets, looking out for abnormal increases in costs, forecasting spend, and of course, working with individual application and product teams on driving not only cost optimization, but performance and resiliency operations as well. Sounds like your customer is firing in all cylinders. Um, Of course, most organizations are not going to be able to get there immediately. Some companies don't really have the resources to dedicate to a central cloud team. But while they can think big and plan for that maturity level and get there eventually, they can still start small, you know, with a band of volunteer firefighters, so to speak, and thought leaders that can really get things going. You know, Paul, actually, that is exactly how most cloud center of excellence teams start. They begin with a small group of forward thinkers knowing that there's a better way to do development, operations, and governance, and people and people in financial management in the cloud and then working together to drive those improvements. The incremental success that they achieve will bring the greater participation and resources needed to mature their emerging central cloud team. So let me ask you this, Sino. From your perspective, what's the best way for them to advertise that kind of success, you know, to get attention and investment needed from leadership so they can scale their efforts? Hmm. (laughs) Data, metrics, key performance indicators. Identify KPIs that are important to the business and measure their current state. For example, things like the hours of downtime critical applications incur or how long it takes to deploy a new product into production. Measure what those metrics look like today. Implement your CCOE-driven improvements and then remeasure. You'll find that those KPIs have improved and that is a success you want to advertise and celebrate throughout the enterprise. Yeah, I think everyone recognizes that early success momentum is crucially important, which is why I like to caution teams who are starting out on a centralized governance structure to try and avoid, you know, boiling the ocean. Find something to improve that's meaningful, but also achievable in a relatively short amount of time. Get those quick wins, if you will. Yep, yep. Very similar journey as to what my customer underwent. And now those volunteer firefighters look more like the fire department of New York these days. You know, it's been amazing to witness and be a small part of. And I'm hoping today's discussion encourages the cloud thought leaders out there listening to think big and start small themselves. Agreed. So, you know, we just went through a lot of information. And for those who have listened to our previous episodes, you're probably starting to notice overlap in some of our discussion points. You know, there are some repeated themes. And honestly, this is probably stating the obvious, but part of the takeaway there should be to recognize that There are a lot of decisions and things that you do that impact multiple areas of your enterprise and cloud adoption. You make a decision on one thing, it's not in a silo or a vacuum. It impacts other areas and other things you're trying to accomplish. So hopefully you're finding some value in all that we're talking about. But to quickly recap today's content at a high level, enterprises that become cloud mature and succeed in their cloud adoption share some fairly common characteristics. First, you have the leadership imperative. 
senior leadership, attention, and advocacy, establishing top-down goals and communicating the why. Then you have business case, making sure that you have a thorough understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. It puts everyone on the same page as to what business value you're looking to attain. Then you have agile execution, avoiding analysis paralysis, you know, taking advantage of what Cloud has to offer, the principle of failing fast, taking advantage of elasticity and fostering workload and workforce efficiencies. Yep. And from there, you know, IT operations and skill enablement is important. You know, create an organizational culture of learning, carve time aside for people to train and communicate where and how to obtain that training. And then finally, measure success and continual improvement. You know, establishing a cloud center of excellence, whether it's starting organically with a small group of thought leaders or putting dedicated resources into it, make sure you're setting up proper governance and organizational policies to take advantage of the cloud. Measure success with the appropriate metrics and KPIs and work towards continuous improvement. Oh, man, does anyone else get really excited hearing that recap? I, I feel like going out there and uh, doing some really amazing things now. But for those out there who want to uh, learn more about these topics, I encourage you to read a blog that I co-wrote fairly recently. It's titled How Cloud Mature Enterprises Succeed. Just plug that into uh, your Google. And it's actually co-authored with someone you may be familiar, uh, familiar with, Mr. Narani Parasurman. Ah, uh, yes, our inaugural guest. And yes, obviously, absolutely, we have the link to the blog in the description section of today's podcast and in the LinkedIn post. Oh, one, la one last thing, uh, for those out there, feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn to discuss your cloud strategy or if you want fantasy football advice. I am equally qualified to provide both. That's good to know, <laughs> so you know. Anyways, that's all the time we have today. Thanks for joining us on the Paul and Paul podcast. So until next time, keep reaching for the cloud.